I'm trying to figure out where the chat is in the uh, in this stupid Skype interface. Just imagine the worst place it could possibly be, and that's where it is. This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to Widgmo.com and check them out. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 30 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Jameson Dance. Hey, guys. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Noel Rappin. Hey, everybody. For the people who don't know who you are, you want to introduce yourself, Noel? Sure. Uh, I currently work in uh, training and talent development for Groupon. And I am the author of previously Rails Test Prescriptions and currently a self-published book called Master Time and Space in JavaScript, Master Time and Space with JavaScript, uh, which you can get at noelrappin.com. I can spell that out, right? N-O-E-L-R-A-P-P-I-N.com. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm a little curious before we get into the topic, which is learning and teaching JavaScript. H- how did you get into writing a book about JavaScript? Like, what's, you your, know, what's your background there? It actually relates to teaching and learning JavaScript. Um, I think I was like a lot of uh, um, long-time web devs. Uh, I, I spent my first round as a web consultant in around turn of the century uh, 2000s. I spent like trying to talk clients out of JavaScript stuff because it was such a pain in the neck. And I kind of got away from it for a while and came back a couple years ago to realize that basically everything had changed and there were actually usable tools now. And um, last summer, I was working with a, at that time, Optiva apprentice, and he wanted to learn JavaScript. He was already an okay programmer, just didn't have much of a JavaScript background. He was a good programmer, he just didn't have much of a JavaScript background. And I genuinely didn't know like what to give to him, like where to point him. Like The, the books that were there seemed to either be really focused on a specific tool like uh, jQuery, or they were like the good parts book, which is the kind of thing that's most valuable once you kind of already know stuff and there wasn't really a book that walked through explaining what was unique about javascript in a way that i wanted to explain it to him so i kind of decided to write one yeah that makes sense so so what's the focus of your book then well the focus the first part it's it's uh it's in several parts and the first part is focused on uh jasmine and jquery and the javascript Mm -hmm. object model and uh, the kinds of things that you can do with functions and objects in JavaScript that are different from the way they work in other languages. I mean, coming from I, you know, more immediately more from Ruby background, so some of it is is specifically uh, the kinds of things that Ruby programmers have trouble with when they come to JavaScript. But uh, you know, there's a lot there that's not based on that, and so uh, a lot of it is test. You know, all the examples are test driven with Jasmine, and so then we uh, the first part talks about jQuery mostly. The second part is. Um, some extended examples of jQuery. There's like a um, a results, a, sorry, a ratings star uh, widget, and uh, a a couple of other slightly more extended examples. Uh, the part three, which should be available for sale by the time this posts, is about Backbone, and part four, which will probably come out by the end of the year, is going to be about Ember. Oh, cool, awesome. Well, um, before we get going too much further, I do have kind of a funny story, um, and that was that uh, when my virtual assistant. She she 
tweeted on my Twitter account that uh, we were looking for guests for the JavaScript show, and you replied and said, well, what about self-published authors? And so she she came back to me and said, well, what do you think about self-published authors? And I, I replied and I said, well, it depends on who it is. And then I was looking at Twitter later on and saw it was you. And so I had to email her back again and go, well, if it's Noel, then it's fine because yeah. I already knew you. But it was it was kind of a funny thing for me because it was like, oh, well, <laughs> she didn't say it was Noel because I would have just said fine. Yeah, a self-published author has, uh, what, a lack of cachet? Is it not? Uh... It, it, it depends on the, the book, the quality of the book and the topic and yeah. the relevance to the, the audience and so there's actually been a lot of decent, for various degrees of decent, uh, good self-published books, and specifically the Backbone uh, space. There are a couple uh, that have come on the last, I don't know, year or so. Yeah, I have to agree with that. But at the same time, I you know I want some discretion, some screening to go on before I just you know let whoever come on the show. So. <laughs> Anyway, um, so so let's talk about uh, teaching and learning JavaScript. Now, you're uh, you do the training, or your primary responsibility is training at Groupon, right? Yeah, that's true right now. Yeah, and you're you're training the developers, so new folks that come in. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, so part of our new hire and skills training, and like ongoing skills training. Right. So is let, let's talk about learning first. Uh, is there a certain approach or mindset that you have to have in order to effectively learn JavaScript? It kind of depends on whether you're talking about people learning to program with JavaScript or people who already know how to program learning JavaScript. I'm kind of interested in the difference between those two as well. Yeah, I think that uh, learning to program has similar... Learning to program in your first language has similar issues to some extent, whatever language you start with. There there are certain basic uh, uh, concepts that you have to get across no matter what the language is. Um, You know, specifically learning JavaScript coming from another language when you're already skilled, um, that involves... You know, understanding the, the specific the things about speci- about JavaScript that are specific to JavaScript, and in the case of JavaScript, not obvious. If you come from another object or any language, JavaScript looks like it's going to behave the same way as those languages do, but it doesn't. Right. So, do you want to talk about some of the things that are the biggest gotchas? Well, I think that there's a well, you know, talking about people that come to uh, JavaScript from like other dynamic object oriented languages, it seems like the expectation, the, the object model is tends to bite people at some point. They expect the things that kind of look like classes in normal JavaScript classes and normal JavaScript syntax to kind of behave like classes and then they don't. And I also think that you know function scope and, and, and variable scope works unusually in JavaScript. Uh, compared to other languages, and I think that also that, that's also the kind of thing that really bites people. I think that even people coming from super dynamic languages like Ruby or Python are not used to messing around with functions the way that good JavaScript style now asks you to mess around with functions. So I remember when I first learned JavaScript, all the things that were different about JavaScript were stupid and wrong. Like I would declare a variable and then be like, why is it not in scope when I think it's going to be in scope? This is stupid. Like... Do you, do you notice that tendency with people to, if they don't understand things, they're, they're like wrong, not the people themselves are wrong? Oh, so you're, you're saying that it was your beginner mindset or your introductory mindset that you were assuming that just because it didn't behave the way you expected it was wrong. Yeah, I was like mad at it for being a different language than, than Ruby. <laughs> well, I, let's stipulate that there are a couple of features of JavaScript that are basically just wrong. Um, <laughs> that's, that's true. But, but yeah, I think there's a tendency, you know, I, you know, I do think that there's a tendency that when you learn your second programming language, language, this goes away the more programming languages you learn, I think. When you learn your second programming language, you're constantly comparing it against your baseline. 
and and the things that aren't in your baseline are either stupid or brilliant in some cases. So yeah, I mean, I you know, JavaScript compounds that by having a couple things that are probably objectively wrong. Uh, but some of the things that you can do with functions in JavaScript are really neat, and they're not things that even Ruby programmers typically do. And and getting into a mindset where you can uh, see that uh, is part of being coming effective with. And it was one of the things that when I came back to JavaScript, I was not prepared for. You know, when I when I stopped doing JavaScript, we were still in the era of three line uh, three line on click handlers and no tools. Uh, and and to come back and suddenly see you know functions that invoke themselves and um, you know functions calling functions and, and using functions as arguments uh, all over the place as, as really common style was kind of jarring. Uh, and then that's the kind of thing that, that coming from other languages, I think are, that's one of the things that, that you need to, uh, part of the mindset that you need to get yourself into. So you mentioned something that was that kind of piqued my interest where you talked about how there are things that you can do in JavaScript once you understand it well that are just really beautiful that maybe if you were just uh, a beginner skill in the language, you can still accomplish the same functionality, but it'll just be in a much different way. Like There's a different way of thinking that, that you approach problems with when you um, use JavaScript for a long time. What do you do to develop that in people? It's hard. Is it just like time using the language? or I think that there are components to that. I think, and I think this is a general case. You, know, you can't... You can't sort of inject experience into somebody. Um, you can show them good experience. You can put them in a situation where they will uh, fail if they don't have, you know, if they don't look at things the right way. You can put them in a situation where they have people who know what they're doing and are modeling a good way to do things. Um, you know, all of those things sort of help. But you know, you you can't. There there are people have to some extent people have to discover that for themselves and there are a couple of routes to that one of which some people will be able to see a short example on a blog post and be able to put it into practice and some people that's just not how they learn that kind of experience they actually need to fail and they actually need to see the bad code first and, and then see the good code in order to be able to do it and i think it, it, that that people one of the things that makes learning in general a really complicated subject is it's almost so hard to generalize one person's experience to a general case. I think I'm definitely in the second group. I have to fail at something like five times before I really pick it up. Everything that I'm interested in and deeply involved in, I've bounced off of several times. Well, I think that's natural in the sense that you start out with assumptions that are along the same lines of what you're familiar with. And then you wind up finding all the edges. And that's where right. your failures come in, is you're like, okay, this assumption was wrong. And so you run up against that and you realize, okay, this, this works in a different way. And then you move along and you find the edges of where JavaScript is really powerful or, or something that it, it, it doesn't do well or doesn't do the way that you thought it would. And so you, you hit that edge and you fail again. But at the same time, you're moving closer because you're, you're, you're hitting the walls and figuring out where the, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to find is in the, in this dark room. Yes. That was a beautiful picture. Yeah. <laughs> did did so, we just have AJ join us? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Hi. Hey, AJ. Coming at you live from the desktoposphere of Orem, Utah, once again. <laughs> All right. Hi, uh, I'm Noel. So, so are are there any terrific resources or classes or 
or anything like that that you would recommend? Um, I mean, other than your book, obviously, that, that people can go to to learn, learn about this? I was just going to say, Chuck totally teed you up right there. Oh, but I already did Time that. To sell, sell, sell. There's oh. a little bit. I don't really, I don't, you know, yes, I would recommend my own book. Um, I, uh, I think it, to some extent, depends on what uh, specifically you are looking for. There's actually just a Reddit. Somebody just asked this on Reddit and on Reddit JavaScript. I think that if you are, if you've already like failed at, at writing enough JavaScript, then I think you're at a place where like the the uh, good parts book uh, will help you. But I um, I also got a lot out of the uh, JavaScript patterns book when I first looked at it. Uh, the the um, Stoyan Stefanov JavaScript patterns book, and I think those are both sort of general guides to good practice. I think that they assume a certain level of uh, experience with the language already. I, I'm not. I don't. I, like I said at the beginning, like I've kind of struggled with what uh, a good, like, advanced beginner introduction is to JavaScript. Right. One that I have seen recommended to people is Eloquent JavaScript. It's a free one. You can also buy a hard yeah. copy if you want. That one's all right. Yeah, I don't think I've looked at it. There's actually a, an interesting. There's a book in beta that I've read part of. It actually might actually be fully released now. It's called Maintainable JavaScript. It's an O'Reilly book, and um, it seems like, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, which is because I haven't read the whole thing, but it seems like an attempt to sort of synthesize a lot of the various uh, JavaScript coding guidelines. Because I think another thing that makes JavaScript kind of tricky is that it is such a disparate community that is trying to do so many different things, and so many different people, uh, you know, therefore have so many different kind of valid style valid styles that it can be hard to sort of figure out which where to start and this seems to be an attempt to try and synthesize that which i thought was interesting awesome so uh, i'm a little curious so at groupon are are you folks typically hiring people with javascript expertise or are you finding people who have expertise in other things like ruby or rails and then training them in how to use javascript we do both we uh, JavaScript is not the main focus of our training, although we do offer a JavaScript workshop. I do run a JavaScript workshop that we run. I don't know every couple months. Um, so we have uh, you know people who come in with JavaScript experience, JavaScript experience. We also have people who just you know are, are moving to more of a front end development, and we also have people who need some who are, are want to start working on some of the frameworks that we work. Um, you know, we have both Ember and Backbone in production or uh, internal code. So uh, you know, that, that's a lot of different things to learn if you're coming at it for the first time. Right. And so most people have expertise in some other language and then pick up the JavaScript stuff. Yeah, like I said, we have both. We, we definitely have people who come in as from more of a front-end side that have JavaScript already. And then sometimes they move and want, the back-end, want more of the back-end stuff. And we do, a little bit of, you know, we do a little bit of Node stuff, too. So, as a trainer, how do you how do you approach that? Well, I think you know a challenge in a when you're running like a one day kind of workshop and you have people that are at various degrees of incoming ability. You know, it's a little bit like juggling a tennis ball and a bowling ball at the same time. Like it just increases the degree of difficulty. We have very I, I don't know I don't know that I would say that I'm completely I'm never completely satisfied with this, the things we put out. We're always trying to do them a little bit better. We have a very very intense one day. Jasmine jQuery backbone, mostly Jasmine backbone course 
that assumes a certain level. It assumes that you kind of already know the know or can figure out like the basic syntax. We don't get into syntax fiddling, but we do talk a little bit about how to test stuff with Jasmine, and we talk a little bit about the quirks of the object model, the prototype model, using functions as objects, that kind of thing. Using functions to simulate module scope. Um, so the, the stuff that's sort of specific to JavaScript that you wouldn't necessarily assume coming from other languages. Right. And that's the thing that happens once every few months? That's not what every new hire goes through? No, every new hire, we, we no, because most of our, a lot of our new hires don't need uh, JavaScript. So we don't do, we don't do anything for every new hire. Uh, oh, I shouldn't say that, but we don't do a specific skill training for every new hire. Right. So I'm going to see if I can pick your brain about this a little bit. I mean, Groupon is a gigantic company with, with a huge engineering department. Let's say, hypothetically, you worked at a small company <laughs> that was still hiring new people. Let's hypothetical. Very <laughs> hypothetical, but not at all hypothetical. I don't know anything about Anyways, that. Um, <laughs> at what point, because we don't have the resources to devote to a full-time training person, right? So, right. so how do you find that balance between getting people up to speed quickly, but yeah. if you take away an engineer, that's like an eighth of your engineering team so I'm, taken away to train this person. I'm all in favor of moving this conversation out of ways where I could conceivably get myself in trouble. So hypotheticals are fantastic. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, so what did I do there? Um, so, I, I mean, I was a smaller, Optiva was certainly a smaller uh, consulting company before Groupon. And typically the mechanism there was a lot of mentoring and pairing. At, as sort of a point of pride, Optiva liked to have uh, people at all, all kinds of s- various skill and experience levels working together, if wh- whenever possible. And one of the reasons for that was so that you know, relative experts and relative novices would pair, and and uh, and that and that knowledge would get transferred that way in as as part of practice. And I think that's a, that can be that's really effective if your senior people buy into it. <laughs> so so hypothetically. New hires would pair around with other people in in different areas that they're not as experienced in. I think that's a good idea in general. Like I think as an, if you're if you're bringing in new hires and you've got a small team and you want the new hire to learn as much as quickly as possible, I think that having them sort of pair around uh, is a really good way to do that. Um, and I think that that also tends to sort of get them attuned to the tools that people are using and the style that people are using. Uh, uh, and allows them to contribute without having the pressure of having to learn everything by themselves immediately. You know, so I like that. That that it, it can be hard to put into practice. I think because uh, not places aren't necessarily set up for pairing like that. But to me, that to me, that would be what I would do with a new hire in a small shop. Yeah, I'm actually working on a remote team, and we are pairing on pretty much everything. And uh, it's it's actually worked out pretty well. So I have more expertise in both JavaScript and Ruby than uh, several of the other uh, guys on the team. And um, so when I'm pairing with somebody, a lot of times, you know, I can kind of guide things while they code. And uh, yeah, the the guy that I've been pairing with for the last few days, um, he he's excited both because he gets to write the code and because he gets to learn more about. Um, the JavaScript that we've been writing because we've been working primarily in JavaScript and at the same time that he can learn some of the tricks and, and tools that I use 
to to get the job done. And so it, it pays off in a lot of ways to, to do that. And you can kind of get focused on the skill sets that people need to solve the problems that you're after. And by doing that, then people not only gain experience and gain knowledge, but they're gaining specific experience and knowledge that relates to what you're after. Right. It's a way to focus it. It's it's a very agile kind of approach. I mean, it is agile because but it's also agile because it tends to be you know, just in time and focused on what you're trying to do. Yep. So then what's the, what's the advantage of doing like a, a day or two's worth of training over doing a day or two's worth of pair programming? You can cover a lot. If, if you feel like, like, you know, lecture and workshop, well, lecture and workshop are a little bit different here, but lecture is notoriously good at covering a lot of ground very, very quickly. It's notoriously bad at in-depth learning. Um, you know, I think that the advantage of a, of a short training class um, is is that it gives you a chance to explicitly cover a lot of foundation stuff that might only intermittently come up if you're on task. Like on task is really good for uh, this is the this is the framework we use, this is the style we use, this is the problems we're trying to solve now. Um, but a workshop is really good at hey, this is how JavaScript objects work, and we're just going to cover that for you know for a couple hours. So, so basically what I was saying is that, you know, if you sit down and do a training, then you're, you're giving them a baseline that they can work from as far as just knowledge. And then as opposed to in practice, you're only going to be confronted by certain things at certain points and uh, underlining, underlying, understanding some of the underlying concepts is going to enable you to do that much more once you connect the dots through experience. Yeah, and it also allows you to kind of assume a certain level of knowledge on the part of your team. Right. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. What What about book learning? I mean, you wrote a book. Um, it's, book learning. It's, Isn't that how it's pronounced? <coughs> learning. Book learning. Yeah. Got me an education. But uh, so so I'm wondering. I mean, you wrote this book specifically to address some of the things that people have a hard time with in JavaScript. Is there more or less value in learning from a book as opposed to you know, sitting through training or pair programming, or does it just depend on the person that's trying to learn? I think to some extent it depends on the person. Books have a couple of, you know, um, effects relative to like learning, like a book, you can handle it. You can take it your own pace. Uh, and if the book has examples and they're good, which is hard to do, then you can take them at your own pace and you're not tied to, you know, uh, keeping up with the guy who's talking at the front of the room. That said, it's very hard to ask questions directly to a book. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a trade-off. I think that my my experience is is that some some people really do click with books, and particularly some some books, I guess, and some people really have trouble with that mode. So, one other question I have for you is: uh, It sounds like you've gotten into JavaScript a little more recently than maybe Ruby or some of these other programming languages. Did you actually sit through a lecture or training, or did you kind of pick things up on your own? How, how did you gain expertise in JavaScript? So when I first when I when I came back into doing JavaScript, well, you know, I, again, JavaScript was something that I had messed with, you know, almost from the beginning on a, on a like script, three line script kind of level. Um, when I started coming back to it and started to seeing what the really good JavaScript programmers, I was lucky enough at the time to be to have a couple of really uh, expert Java programmers, JavaScript programmers around. And uh, when I saw the co- so seeing the code that they produced, and first of all, trying to puzzle it out, and second of all to ask uh, was was really invaluable and at that point I, I had enough information to kind of bootstrap my way through 
the Crockford book and the JavaScript patterns book and, and really, and, and even the definitive guide, which is, you know, overwhelming for anything other than reference has really good descriptions in some places of exactly what's going on in the language. Um, it's not something I would necessarily throw at a novice, but it's a, uh, because it's very heavy. And, uh, but it, it is a really, you know, the explanation of exactly what the language is doing in certain spots is, is, is pretty detailed if you're ready for that kind of thing. So that was mostly what I did is, um, and, and trying to build, you know, trying to replicate the code that I was seeing in the projects that I was doing. So I was actually to, to some extent putting this stuff into practice at the same time, I was also working with experts and I was augmenting that with trying to learn it on my own. So, especially so that I could explain it to the other, to the, to the people who were even more junior than I was at the time. Right. I kind of like that approach too, where you basically said that you were reading code, um, talking to the people who wrote the code, and then also writing code. Does code reading really play a huge role in learning to program a a language? Well, if you have the, I think that one of the things that's tricky about that is finding an example that's finding an example of the code of the code level that's like really good to read into. You know, a lot. It's hard to jump into looking at the framework code or a lot of the open source code that's available. That 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 uh, I should say, the open source code that's available tends to be really heavy on frameworks and libraries, and not quite as heavy on the kinds of tasks that most developers are using the frameworks and libraries for. Um, and then you get into like you look at even blog posts and examples and things like that, and they tend to be a little bit simplistic, um, just for logistical reasons. It's hard to write an example that, that's not a little bit oversimplified from the real world. Um, it, but if you can find a code base, if you know, if you have a code base that has a really good piece of JavaScript attached to it, that's a really helpful way to learn thing, to, to learn stuff. Especially, you know, one of the great advantages that JavaScript has now, which I would not have said you know, several years ago, is the developer toolkits in the browser, if you're doing browser stuff, really make it possible to play with this stuff in a way that, that you know, X number of years ago was just really a real challenge. Um, and that, one of the advantages that JavaScript has, I think, as a first language is that if you're doing browser stuff, the ability to play with stuff and see what you're doing immediately is is really powerful. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you guys have any other questions for Noel before I keep steaming on ahead? <laughs> I'm just going to, I mean, I kind of asked about it earlier, but what do you think about teaching people JavaScript as their very first language. Um, I've thought about this a lot because it's the most widely installed programming environment, right, just in a web browser. But it also seems like some of the quirks might be a little bit tough for people to, to wrap their heads around if they're first learning. So I don't know, how, how do you think that trade-off works? Is it better just to use a different language that maybe is a little more straightforward, or how do, how do you think that works together? So I think it has a strong case for it now, and that's not something I think I would have said a few years ago. I, I think the the fact that it is really easy, you know, it's in the browser, so you don't really need to, to go through complicated install features, and, and as a novice, you wouldn't really care too much about browser quirks. Uh, I think that's really powerful. Like I said, um, the ability to teach it to a novice in such a way that they can actually see what they're doing, you know, see what see the changes that they're making, you know, even if you just start in the console and start, you know, put something on the page and start moving it around, you know, that that's very very powerful. I think the quirks, I don't know, that that argument would bother me more if I could think of a language that would be a first time programmer language that didn't have crazy quirks, like yeah, 
Yeah, I guess if it's your first language, then you don't know that they're quirks. They're just how things work. Well, I don't know. I I still think I'd recommend Ruby to somebody. It it really depends, right? It it depends on where they want to go with the programming. I mean, you know, if if they if they're interested in um, just in general programming, then yeah, maybe Ruby or Python or you know one of these. But if they want to just do the deep dark low level programming, you know, then you may teach them C, even though C is you know uh, a little bit more challenging to completely understand. My argument would be it's a lot easier if you've got some structure. And then you learn how to take something that has no structure and make structure out of it. So you've got like a model to build from. Yes. I think that, you know, if you're looking for conceptually clean programming languages for the first for the first programming language, I would actually probably pick Python. Um, but I also don't think it makes as much a difference as we kind of think it does in terms of what's hard and what's easy to teach. Um, until At least among like this, this sort of group of dynamic kind of scripting languages. Uh, I think are all reasonably similar in terms of how hard they're hard or easy they are for uh, a novice to pick up. Um, I think that you know one of the one of the advantages the JavaScript has advantages and disadvantages in that respect. The JavaScript's one JavaScript's big disadvantages here is that there are things that novices are going to do that are just really really bad ideas in a way that uh, both you know in a way that Ruby tends to protect novices from doing really really bad things casually. I should say though I, I kind of I kind of forgot this, but I did want to mention this. One of the ways in which I learned what job what, what JavaScript style was was through CoffeeScript and the JavaScript that CoffeeScript puts out. Um, I don't know that I'd recommend that in general. I'm not sure I would go to CoffeeScript as a first language instead of JavaScript, although I might in the right circumstance. Looking at particularly what CoffeeScript calls a class and comparing it to the JavaScript that it puts out was really helpful for me in understanding exactly how that kind of scope and, and stuff works in JavaScript. Yeah, um, so you said you might, under the right circumstances, choose CoffeeScript as a first language. Can you think of what some of those circumstances would be? The obvious circumstances would be you're coming into a team that's using CoffeeScript. <laughs> the, the, there's an immediate upside in that it protects you from some of those things that JavaScript... Uh, you know, It's really the case for and against CoffeeScript general applies even more forcefully to the case against it as a, as a language you would learn before you would learn JavaScript. Um, on the plus side, it prevents you from doing some really, really not helpful things. And on the downside, uh, you have that extra layer of complexity where the stuff you're writing isn't exactly what the browser is, is uh, evaluating. And I think for a novice, that might be a real challenge to try and debug. Right. Um, but I suspect the time will, that, that fairly shortly, that's, that's going to be much less of an issue with you know, the, the, the developer tools will catch up. Uh, but I think eventually, you know, CoffeeScript, like any sort of abstraction, you know, eventually will leak uh, its underlying roots. And I think at some point, there's only, at some point, you're going to need to really understand what's going on in JavaScript for CoffeeScript to, to really help you. But you can go a, a pretty far away before getting there. And, and CoffeeScript has, is a little bit cleaner to present to a novice. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't had. I don't have a lot of experience with teaching CoffeeScript directly, so I'm not completely sure how how well people might take to it. I have never seen someone just learn CoffeeScript without learning JavaScript. But most of the people that actually learned CoffeeScript after knowing JavaScript well seem to, at least in my small sample, seem to prefer it. But I also think it's the kind of thing with C and assembly where I here I wasn't even probably alive back then. But when C first came out. Lots of people kind of 
poo-pooed it as as hiding the assembly code, hiding what was really going on under the hood. Right. Um, and then, then but you yeah, might, you need to know what what's going on under the hood to get your job done. Yeah. 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 So I wonder if the same kind of thing will happen. Where right now, yeah, it's you. You pretty much need to know JavaScript if you're going to do any any serious programming in CoffeeScript. But maybe the tooling will get what will get good enough that uh, won't even matter. What kind of a setup do you have? Because I'm assuming you're doing in-person training. What, what, what kind of a setup do you have to do that? Uh, like our physical setup in the building? Yes. Like what, what, what is your classroom layout? The main office here has two, right now, two rooms that we use for uh, developer training. Uh, we, they're not dedicated to developer training. They're just training style rooms that we sometimes get, you know, that we get a chance to use. Um, so are they kind of conference rooms then or are they actual training rooms? Look like training rooms. They have you know rows, and there's a big. There are big screens at the front, and in one case, also big screens towards the back that, that duplicate them, um, and you know rows and, and, and chairs and things like that. Sometimes I would actually prefer for smaller groups more of a of a conference room style layout because I think that encourages people to interact more. But yeah, our no, our actual physical layout is sort of what you would think of as being a training room. It's several rows of tables, you know, all looking up at screens in the front. Uh huh. And so you just hook your laptop to a projector and yep. do the training yep. there. I have a yeah, I have some yeah, I have some courseware that I, you know some basically slide deck with some examples that I've developed. Um, you know, yeah, and that's it's just a it's a it's a presentation punctuated by hands-on exercises. That's how we do it right now. I'm not I'm not going to defend that as being the best possible, the best of all possible world. If you could change any part of that, what would you change then? Water slides. Water slides would be awesome. I always wind up wishing that I was more adept at balancing the at balancing the lecture with the hands on stuff. I always, I almost always walk out feeling like I've done one or the other too much. Um, right. I think that's one of those things that probably takes practice, though. Um, have you done any online training? Like me leading online training? Or, uh, yeah, leading online training. I have not, although I suspect it's in my future. <laughs> Um, do you have any guesses as to how you would approach that, assuming you have a tool like GoToMeeting or something that will allow you to share a screen and you know uh, you can talk into a microphone and it'll get transmitted to the Yeah. I'm actually I'm actually starting to think about that to, to, to start to hit uh you know some of our distributed to be able to better hit distributed sites. I, I'm I'm I am i i do not know. Um uh, I think that you know, the interact one of the things that I do like about the workshop is at least the ability for interactivity uh, and for people to just ask questions and you don't want like go to meeting stuff you know can quickly turn into a one-way broadcast if you're not yeah. and one of the things that i think what i would probably do is not try to do everything in one shot and to break it up into smaller pieces uh and and have people do exercises on their own in between them um Rather than try to do a, a six or a six hour single shot, I think that that's that's. I think that you're you're testing human endurance for like a six hour web meeting, and so that that's one way that I would change the structure a little bit. Yeah, I, I guess it, yeah, I can see that it'd be kind of hard to be strapped to your chair for six hours. Yeah, the only problem I see there, you know, and and it's kind of what you said as far as the difference between the in person training and the online training is that, you know, you can walk around and see what people are doing and, and provide feedback and help them out. And there really isn't a terrific online 
system for that that uh, allows you to kind of get a view into where they're at and where they're struggling um, because you can't virtually wander through your room or lecture. Right, and and it's hard to, and you can't really share screens. You know, there isn't really a setup to share screens with all that many people in order to not necessarily sure that that would be effective. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've toyed, like I said, I had, it's not something that I've actually had to do yet, but it is something that I started to think about. Um, uh, you know, in terms of, of potentially leveraging uh, existing code review tools uh, is one is one thing that I'm thinking about. Right, that makes sense. I guess you can always have them commit code to GitHub or something, and then at least you have that much visibility into how far they got and where where they have their struggles. Yes, you have. I was just going to talk about the Khan Academy computer science thing. Have you guys played with that for teaching? I mean, it's JavaScript, but it's more aimed at beginning programmers. But it's it's just a bunch of really interactive visual tutorials where the the things you're programming have some visual effect on the screen that's really immediate. So there's lots of feedback with what you're coding and, and what it actually does. Yeah, I haven't played with that, but it's definitely on my list of things to look up. Yeah, can, can you put a link to that? Oh, there you go. Yeah. We'll, we'll get a link in the show notes. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. So one, what the, about Code Academy? Any thoughts on that one? I've heard some good things. Aren't they out in Chicago, out near you? The Chicago one's not called that anymore. Oh, okay. So, so what, what are your thoughts on the kind of code academy or you know online code school or in-person code school arrangement chicago one is an in-person school and i don't know much about the san francisco the code the uh, yeah aj put a link up for the the one that i'm not from not as familiar with so i yeah there's a limit to how much i'm willing to say about things that i I just don't know (laughs) it it makes sense to me i i don't know if it appeals to everybody is is the thing. So some people I think would really benefit from something like that where they're trying to make a career change, you know, whether it be to a different language or maybe to a different a different area of of expertise altogether, you know, from accounting to programming or something. You know, if if they're if it's worth it to them to go and sit through a course for however long, you know, 3 weeks, 6 weeks, 8 weeks, whatever, however however long they go. Um it, that that kind of thing makes sense to me in the sense that, you know, you kind of get this knowledge dump all at once. I, I worry a little bit about people's experience, but, but like you said, Noel, I, I don't have a whole lot of experience with them, so I don't know exactly how effective they are. Chicago One, which now calls itself the Starter League, um, has a mix of courseware, you know, sort of like normal coursework, although it's been a while since I've seen what, what their actual courses are. Uh, and they also pair people up with mentors, which are, um, you know, uh, people in the community locally. Um, that, that the students can meet with and show their code to and, and, and uh, get some feedback on their ideas. So that, you know, that, that, that can be a pretty powerful model. Again, I think that it, there's, a, you, there's a limit to how much experience you can give somebody in that time frame, um, but I think it's a, you know, the, the mix of having sort of a traditional classroom with uh, mentors that are available to uh, help you out is a, can be a pretty powerful one. I was just going to ask, I feel like we've kind of driven the conversation in lots of different areas, but is there anything that you wanted to talk about, about your stuff or about learning JavaScript in general? I think we've covered a lot of the stuff that I was sort of hoping to get through. I think that, that you know, learning JavaScript has a lot of the same challenges of learning any uh, new programming languages, plus the individual, you know, I think the, the 
the thing that the things that frustrate people about JavaScript, the, those quirks are kind of a challenge um, for new programmers to understand it because otherwise they'll write code that, that has bugs that are you know you, you can code in, in JavaScript that has very very subtle bugs based on the internals of the language um, that are hard to figure out and you know, hopefully whether it's through a book or an expert or a screencast or a blog post or something like that hopefully you can find a way uh, to route yourself around those problems. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, um, one more question, and, and this is uh, along the lines of something you brought up a minute ago where you were talking about the Startup League and you or Starter League or whatever it is, and you said that uh, they pair people up with mentors. Is there a good way to find a mentor that you can work with? I mean, most of the mentors have been people that I've actually been a coworker to. Uh, um, are, are there other good ways of finding folks that can kind of get you on the right path? Uh, if you're just sitting around for a mentor, uh, it kind of depends on where you are. Like in Chicago, um, there are a lot, a lot of user groups in Chicago. And if you were a relatively novice, one of the pieces of advice that I give to relatively novice developers is to go to these meetings uh, and that, that have topics that you might be interested in and, and, and talk to people and try to find people who might be interested in helping you out. Um, my experience is that a lot, certainly not all, but a lot of expert programmers tend to be pretty happy to share their expertise with people who are just coming up. Um, I don't think that's universal, but I think that a lot of people are. Um, and so that's one way to find them. If you're not in an area that has that, um, you know, then I think you need to try and find, then I think the next thing to do is to look online and, and try and find, uh, you know, uh, online groups where experts uh, or where people of similar interest hang out and, and you know, see if you can get somebody, you know, ask nicely to see if you can get somebody to look at something you're doing and, and give you uh, some feedback. I think one of the keys too is demonstrating some kind of proactivity and interest. Um, so if you are hanging out in the IRC channel a lot and you're asking good questions or you're, you're asking questions on the mailing list, that's a good way to show that you're interested and motivated to learn. But if you just find someone that you don't know and have never interacted with and just email them and say, hey, uh, do yeah. you want to spend hours of your time helping me, even though no. we've never talked? Like, they still might say yes if they're really nice, but that's a huge gamble for them. Yeah, I think you'd have a sense of proportion about what you're actually asking people to do. You know, um, Randomly emailing people you don't know is, is not liable to be the most effective way, but if you find an online community that shares your interest and you can start contributing to that community, then I think that that's... Then, that, then, you know, the other members of that community are going to be uh, interested in, presumably interested in helping you out. You know, but again, it starts from finding the community uh, and being a part of that, whether it's online or off. Yeah, I think, I, I think another a, a good approach that's similar to this is start writing your code and then ask questions that are related to the code that you're writing. And that way you can give them both context and, a, a you know, a good way of, of reaching out and giving you a finite answer because it's, well, I'm trying to do this, and when I write this code, it does this. And and then people know where to guide you and how to help you fill in the gaps in your knowledge. So I, I would add the group that's smaller because you're more likely to get more help there. Like if you, if you go into the Go community, you'll probably find more people that are skilled and enthusiastic and willing to help than if you go into one of the larger communities where I, it seems like as the community grows, it gets more hard and people become more jerks and they're like, ah, oh, you're an amateur, you don't know this, you don't know the basics, what an idiot. 
Uh, yeah, I think that depends on the community that you're in, but I, I think that, again, it's worth trying to be in a place where you can observe and try and get a sense of who's going to be receptive to you or not. And I was going to say that if your question's focused enough, Stack Overflow is a good place to, to help. By definition, the people who are helping you there are volunteering and are interested in helping people out. But you need a pretty focused question to have that be fruitful. Yep. All right. Well, I think we're uh, at the end of our time. Jameson, what are your picks? Oh, God. All right. So as per tradition, I have one music pick and a couple of other picks. Um, my music pick is a an album called Shrines by Purity Ring. And it's just beautiful, therial, like female vocals, synth pop stuff. It's amazing. It's pretty great. Uh, that's been my soundtrack for the past week. My other pick is an essay by Brett Victor. He's the um, the guy who had that amazing presentation about inventing on principle and just general all-around brilliant thinker about teaching and communicating information. Um, and it's called Learnable Programming. It's kind of a reaction to the Khan Academy computer science teaching UI, but it, it just goes into his ideas on how you make teaching programming easy for beginners and, and how what the best way to communicate all of the knowledge that's wrapped up in knowing how to program. It's really long and it has beautiful illustrations and visualizations and it's it's a work of art in its presentation and in the content it contains. So it's it's great. Um, and then my last pick is another really long one called Mob Software by this guy named Richard Gabriel. He wrote that Worse is Better essay that is kind of famous. Um, it's, it's about how good software comes out of lots of people doing lots of different things that they all find interesting, not about central command and control, like hierarchical organizations. So I've been doing lots of thinking about deep thoughts. Those are my picks. Awesome. AJ, what are your picks? Okay, so first off, I will pick Monoprice because I love them. They have really nice thick cables uh, for cheap and I was trying to hook up my projector to my Wii and it's like 35 feet across the room and I was just using those like super cheap RCA cables and pictures kind of fuzzy and today the cable I ordered came in so I'm going to go home and try it tonight and see if uh, the picture doesn't come in a lot clearer than I expect it will but I'd love that for the price of cheap cable at Best Buy you can get like excellent super monster size cable at Monoprice. Also, uh, I think I picked this before, but I'm picking it again. Uh, Zero, which I guess that's how you might say it. It's Z-R-E-O, Zelda Illustrated. I just love listening to their music, particularly the Wind Waker soundtrack they've put together. Awesome. All right. Um, So I'm going to put in a few picks here. Um, The first pick I have, I was using the TweetBot beta for... Uh, Mac OS and my Mac OS um, was acting up on me. It turns out it was actually a, a power saving setting and the fact that the solid state drive that I have Mac OS installed on, um, if you put it to sleep, it will not wake up again unless you reboot the computer. And it took me a while to figure that out. And in the meantime, I reinstalled the OS and I lost TweetBot. But I've been using the, the official Twitter app and um, I, I really like it. It's a lot like TweetBot. Um, there are a few things that I like about TweetBot better, but uh, you know, for the most part, I'm pretty happy with with the way that this works. So, um, the official Twitter app for macOS 
is a pick. And another pick that I, I w- I'm not sure if we picked it on the show or not. I'm pretty sure not, but I'm just going to pick it anyway. Um, there's an application out there for Mac. It's called Fluid. And what Fluid does is it, uh, it basically encapsulates a web page into your, um, into an application. And so you get an application dot app file in your, in your applications folder, and then you can run whatever you want. So I have like Google calendar running in one. I've, I've had a few other things running in it. Um, the only downside is, is like one of the things that I do with my email actually uses, um, uses a Chrome plugin. And so for my email, I actually have to use um, Chrome, so I can't use Fluid or Mailplane or anything like that. But uh, other than that, it's been really, really nice. So, uh, you know, if you have a website that you visit a lot that, you know, you can just pull up and you want it in your own app so that you can launch it from LaunchBar or whatever, then that's a great way to go. Um, Noel, do you have some picks for us? A couple. Uh, I have a technical pick and a couple of not. On, on the topic here, um, I wanted to mention Justin Searle's TryJasmine.com. If you guys have talked about it here. Um, TryJasmine is just an in-browser editor that lets you try Jasmine off CoffeeScript or JavaScript. Um, and it's got some nice features to just let you uh, try out some Jasmine specs and some source against it and run the specs in your browser. Um, that's from Justin Searle's at Test Double. And Justin also has a GitHub page, uh, S-E-A-R-L-S, uh, with a lot of really good Jasmine tools. He's the, he maintains a Jasmine Given tool, which is similar to Jim Weirich's RSpec Given. Uh, and he also has a couple of other Jasmine fixture um, and a couple of other really nice uh, Jasmine test tools. So uh, worth checking out. What else are we going to talk about? A book pick? I was trying to think of a good book pick for this, but I want to mention... Uh, Charles Strauss laundry series as being a series of books that uh, tends to appeal to programmers. Uh, The main character is kind of an IT computer hacker desk jockey, and the book is a fantasy series um, about sort of Lovecraftian horrors mixed with computational, uh, uh, mixed with computer science. Uh, Oh my gosh. I think this book was written for me. Many people have Many people have that reaction. So, yeah, uh, they start talking about, in, in this universe, uh, various kinds of computations are actually how you summon demons. Um, the first book, I think, has a, has a reference to the suppressed fourth Knuth book with all of the demon summary. <laughs> uh, That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And let's see. Uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up... Uh, a, a, a musical pick, a sort of little offbeat musical pick, uh, is a, it's, a, it's a band called The Lisps and an album called Futurity, which is actually a soundtrack to a musical that is sort of a steampunk. Uh, it's a, I, guess it, I guess I would have to describe it as a steampunk computer science, computery musical. Um, the main character is a uh, Civil War veteran who meets up with Ada Lovelace to dis- to, fa- to build a like steam powered uh, mechanical brain, um, and the music has a certain I don't know I like their music it's it's uh, kind of indie a little roots ish um, and it's uh, you know songs about artificial intelligence so how can you go wrong with that uh, and I'll stop there awesome. I have some family members whose intelligence must be artificial. But anyway. Hope they're not listening. 
<laughs> they never do. You're too kind, Chuck. Yeah. Anyway, um, awesome. Sounds good. Well, let's let's wrap this show up. Thanks for coming, Noel. Before I go, I just want to uh, direct everyone to the book, which is Master Space and Time with JavaScript, which you can get at noelrappin.com uh, slash M-S-T-W-J-S. And books one and two are available now. Book three, hopefully by the time this posts, uh, otherwise very shortly thereafter. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, um, I don't think we have any announcements, so we'll just uh, call it a podcast, and we'll we'll catch you all next week.